0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to little worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles. Uh, to Luke chapter 8, or uh, you could also look in the bulletin Luke chapter 8, and uh, we've got it printed there in the bulletin. Luke chapter eight. Uh, so in 1504, y'all may, may know this. Remember this. In 1504, uh, Michelangelo, one of the great uh, artists, uh, Michelangelo began painting the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And after he finished the ceiling, of course it took him years, uh, after he finished, believer and unbeliever alike all agreed that, that his work there was one of the greatest masterpieces of, of human history. Um, it, was, it was beautiful, stunning. But, and we, we know this, uh, like all things in this fallen world, over time the original beauty of his masterpiece was lost. Uh, It it became worn out, just a a worn out, faded version of what it once was. Okay, well well fast forward 400 years, if you can imagine that long, 400 years, and in the 1980s, uh, a group of people very controversially decided that they were going to restore this masterpiece. And, And ever so carefully, they cleaned and restored the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and as it was restored... They said colors began to pop that they hadn't seen for centuries. You know, suddenly the ceiling began looking like it was originally created to look, and it was beautiful. Well, like Michelangelo, but, but just like infinitely more, God created the world. And he called it good, and it was good. His creation was good. But his crowning jewel of creation His masterpiece, so to speak, was man and woman. And it was beautiful. Life in the garden with God was perfect. But sin came, right? The fall happened, and and with that, that original beauty was lost. And ever since then, there's been a brokenness in our world, a separation from God that has left us marred. Even the most liberal, most progressive of Christians will hold to that ideal that sin is here, that the fall has happened. You know, the beauty doesn't pop like it once did, which leaves our souls in much need of restoration. And yet, you know, we can look out at our world, which we live in a world where so many of the religious systems and philosophy systems are really attempts at explaining away this longing that we have or trying to address this longing to be healed. And we look at the miseries we experience and, and, and we wonder if the longing for beauty and the longing for communion with God is just this cosmic joke. It's just not possible. Is there hope? But then we come to God's word and the gospel message talks us down from the ledge once again and tells us of our restorer. You know, in, in him, our longing is, is met. And so, you know, typically in the gospels, we, we get these bite-sized stories that show us Jesus in kind of bite-sized quantities. You know, one passage typically equals one story, which typically equals one sermon. And it's nice and tidy, decent and orderly, just like the Presbyterians like it, right? And, but, but occasionally, God gives us a glimpse of just the constant activity that surrounded Jesus' life and ministry. That often it wasn't as tidy as the gospel writers organized it, but rather, when Jesus was walking around and teaching, you know, one teaching or miracle from him would fold into another. And, and sometimes Jesus would be on his way to do one thing when something else would happen, and he would have to address that. And, and so think about in, in real life, there is no director there saying, and scene. Now let's, let's go to the next, or the next location. No, no, usually, just like it does in our life, one incident flows into another incident, into the next, into the next, into the next, which explains why Jesus needed to get away and pray all the time. That explains how Jesus could be so exhausted that he would fall asleep in a boat, uh, not, not like a cruise ship, like just a regular old boat in a storm. He's exhausted. Well, our passage this morning is like that. It, 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 it's a lot going on. It, it doesn't provide this just nice, neat, Ordered outline. It's more like a, a Christopher Nolan film, uh, in which the timeline, it, like, it is super fractured. But if, if you just watch the whole thing, it's all going to make sense in the end. Um, and so, with that, uh, for our, our note takers, um, <laughs> surprise, there's no outline this morning. Uh, just do your best, okay? Um, there is no outline, but there is a huge takeaway. Just hang in there. We'll we'll get there, okay? Um, and, and then one one final thing before we read God's word, this is the end of what we you would call a power trio. Uh, there were three events that Luke has laid out to display Jesus's comprehensive power. That we we've, we've seen that Jesus has power over nature. That we can really rest in Him. Last week we saw that Jesus has power over evil. That we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. And now, this morning, to show us that Jesus has just, like, all the power, Uh, Luke concludes with two different people from two different walks of life, both in need of restoration, deep restoration. And so with that, let's go now to God's Word and see His restoration power. This is God's inspired, holy Word. Verse 40. And now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him. For they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. In which Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And then he came to the house, and Jesus allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But Jesus said, Do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, Jesus called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and Jesus directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is God's good, good word. You know, this is definitely one of the most emotionally charged passages in all of the Bible. We have Jairus who was dealing with the single greatest pain a, a parent could possibly deal with. Um, he he is his only child, a 12-year-old daughter uh, who is sick and, and dying. And, and the heartbreak, the, 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 the grief is devastating. And, and, you know, think of some of the things that you've done for your child when your child was sick. Um, you, a parent will do almost anything, anything for, for their child. And, and then we meet a woman here who is the picture of broken. I mean, she's sick. She's isolated, she's lonely, she's helpless, and we'll we'll see this more in a bit, but we've got to notice that it wasn't their love of God. They couldn't just come, wait to worship. It wasn't their love of God that brought them to Jesus, but as is so often the case, it was their utter desperation that sent them running to Jesus. You know, over the last decade, Many of us, I know, have followed or read the book or watched the documentary, which if you haven't, I strongly encourage you to watch this documentary uh, about the life of Kara Tippetts. Uh, And I know I've mentioned her several times in in sermons, but in case you don't know, uh, Kara was the mother of four young children and, and the wife of a PCA pastor out in Colorado Springs. And she was a very special sister in Christ who was, I mean, full of life, excitement for the kingdom about what God was doing in her and in her family. But then in, in the prime of her life, uh, she heard that word that no one wants to hear. Uh, it was cancer. And, and Kara wrestled with that. And, and, and as she suffered through the cancer that would go on to take her life, she wrote a book entitled, The Hardest Peace, Expecting Grace in the Midst of Life's Heart. And um, I know for, I, we've, some of you have talked about this, but it, you know, as someone who has been rocked by life's hard, I, I can't begin to tell you how much of a gift that book is to the suffering Christian. I mean, it's a gift that she left to the world in that book. In, in, in it, Kara, she just wrote honestly. Uh, as she, she wrote, she said, Before cancer, I would have said I was on the journey of seeking grace. But in truth, I was manufacturing my own faith. If I found a need, I did my best to meet it. She said, my going, doing, and loving was my faith, not my nearness to Jesus. In my mind, I knew my efforts weren't the substance of my faith, but my practice betrayed me. Stripped of my ability to go and do, I saw Jesus in a new and profound way. She writes, face down in my bed, I could not manufacture anything. I couldn't serve, couldn't gather friends, neighbors, the broken-to-build community. I was helpless. I was a church planter's wife who could not be left alone to care for my three-year-old daughter. There were days I couldn't walk downstairs to join my family for a simple meal. And she said, in those moments, I could do nothing else but begin to hunt for grace. And I found it in the bottom of myself, my illness, my terrible I found the Jesus who humbly washes the feet of his disciples. Okay. Well, like Kara and like anyone who has truly been saved, this passage shows us two people who at the end, the very end of themselves found Jesus. You know, who who found that that grace always flows downhill. It settles in the low places. You know that that expression, the the the, gra- the ground at the cross is level. You've heard that, right? We see that here because, well, here with Jairus, we're told that Jairus was a real somebody. That he, he, the ruler of the synagogue in a time when being the ruler of the synagogue was really cool. Uh, you know, there are people that you just feel honored that they they know your name, like here's my name. Um, or, or you would name drop when I worked at First Pres at Jackson in staff meetings. This is back when Ligon Duncan was the preacher there. But Ligon would sometimes say, well, I just got off the phone with Tim Keller and this is what Tim was saying. I'm like, I did not get off the phone with Tim Keller just then. Um, just name drop. You know, so, so Jairus was that person. Like He would be the person you would name drop. Well, I was just hanging out with Jairus and this is what Jairus said. Jarus was a, a very influential man who had friends in high places. I mean if anyone had the resources to save their child, get them the best medical care. If anyone could do that, it was him, And yet we see again that all the king's horses, all the king's men, could not put his little girl back together again. For, for as influential and wealthy as he was, he still couldn't cut it. And I think that's probably good to know in America where we think like, you know, success and money and finances and we just kind of get this bubble wrap ourselves. But there's like there's a limit of influence and wealth. There's there's a place that it cannot go beyond that we're still needy, still desperate in. Well, contrast him, influential Jairus, with this woman and Luke mentioned that she had been bleeding for 12 years. Like, I mean, she had she'd suffered the same amount of time that Jairus' daughter had been alive. And Luke tells us that she'd spent every penny on, on doctors, uh, but no one could help her. She couldn't get any help, which is amazing. That after 12 years, some of us probably would just give up, right? Like, look, I, I, this is just who I am. Um, but she's she hasn't let us yet. She's still going. Mark added the detail that she had also suffered under a number of doctors. And, and we know this, that during this time, um, medical science was in its infancy stages, you know? So it, it's really, like, it's no telling the horrors that she probably underwent with various doctors. Um, if, if you read some of the ancient Jewish m- medical stuff, like some of their, for, for this thing, what, one of the ways you would treat this is you, I think, give her like a cup of wine and put her at an intersection of, you know, like a crossroads and then have somebody come up behind her and scare her and, and hopefully the scare would cause the blood to stop. It's little things like that. Um, so it's no telling, you know, the abuse, the humiliation that she had endured. And, and all of her efforts to fix herself in the end only made things worse. So both of these people were helpless. Which is where the gospel really pops here. <laughs> because when it comes to our deepest need, meaning like forgiveness of sin, salvation before the Father, freedom from bondage, we like Jairus and like this woman in ourselves are helpless. As Jeremiah asks, can an Ethiopian change his skin? No. Can a leper change his spots? No. So what we're seeing is like none of our business connections, none of our bank accounts, no amount of money can purchase enough to procure the deep healing we crave. If anything, our our own attempts only make things worse in these categories. And just like these two, our, our helplessness leads us to desperation. We become desperate. And so, you know, we have no indication that Jairus was a follower of Jesus before this event. You know, if anything, as the ruler of the synagogue, he probably wasn't. Um, But Jairus had no doubt heard Jesus. He had no doubt heard of his miracles, maybe some of his teaching. Remember, this was, it was the same town that just, you know, prior, these men had tore up this roof so that they could lower their friend down so that Jesus could heal him. Same town. But desperate times call for desperate measures. And so with that tiny flicker of faith, he ran, and he fell at Jesus' feet, begging Jesus, hey, come, come, come to my house, heal my dying daughter. Well, Jesus responded to that flicker of a faith, and, and as Jesus, his disciples, and Jairus were in their ambulance making their way to Jairus' house, they ran into a traffic jam. We found that people pressed in on them everywhere, and one of whom was the woman. Remember this woman, she'd done everything she could do, right? She'd talked to all sorts of doctors. Still, nothing had happened. And and the, the sheer nature of her illness meant that she was unclean. That she was seen as unclean during this time. Leviticus 15 said that a woman was unclean for seven days after her monthly cycle. Which means, not just for seven days, but for 12 years, she had been isolated. I mean, she had been around her family. She hadn't been able to go to worship. Y'all remember when we did that two weeks to flatten the curve thing? Y'all remember that a couple years ago? Well, can you, I mean, she spent 12 years, 12 years in quarantine. And due to the delicate nature of her illness, she had to keep much of her pain a secret. She couldn't just tell anybody about what she was doing, what she was going through. I mean, she's really not even supposed to be here around all these people. But her desperation had driven her to Jesus And she thought that if she she could just touch the fringe of Jesus' robe, she could be healed. Okay, quick aside. And at the risk of making us Presbyterians a little nervous, notice neither one of these people had theologically sound faith, you know? Uh, I mean, this woman's faith was uninformed, superstitious a little bit. and, And to be honest, it was selfish. So her, her faith was more akin to the health, wealth, prosperity variety. You know, she, she didn't seem to particularly care for the healer. She just wanted to be healed. As long as she got healed, she didn't care. And it, you know, It wasn't her love of God that brought her to Jesus. It was her need of restoration that brought her to Jesus. But yet, before any big-headed Christians start talking about how their theology wasn't perfect, um, here we see... That, that though it's fledgling and immature, we have to remember Jesus's teaching on faith. Remember the, the mustard seed thing he, he mentioned that look, just just the slightest bit, the, sl- this, the smallest amount of faith um, can be real faith. And so Jesus, well, if, besides, isn't that how often God, God moves? Um, you know we all come to faith with so many misconceptions. <laughs> So many misunderstandings about Jesus, but praise God, we don't have to have a doctorate of theology to be saved. Um, now here Jesus graciously responded to her imperfect faith. But now, he, he didn't want her to stay there. He also used this as an opportunity to inform her faith and her understanding. And so it goes with us, right? That over time, as we follow Jesus, our knowledge and our understanding of what it actually means to have faith in Christ becomes more robust, okay? Well, so this lady, she touched Jesus' robe. She was healed, and Jesus said, who touched me? <laughs> and of course, it would be Peter who would say this, right? Peter said, uh, Jesus, what are you talking about? And, and so Jesus said, no, 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 no. Someone just got healed, and which begs the question if Jesus really is God, the God-man. Like, surely he'd know. Like, why, why does he ha- even have to ask the question? Why, why would he do that? Well, Jesus wasn't asking for his sake. He was asking for the woman's sake. Uh, remember, with, with her immature faith, you know, she, she really thought that she could just dip in, get Benny Hinn, and, and dip out. She's, she's all good. Sometimes many Christians today think that. You can dip in, get your blessing, dip out, move on. But Jesus used this as an opportunity to inform her shallow faith, that, that, it, that he wasn't just this grace vending machine where you come in, do some things, He blesses you, life is great. But he didn't, he didn't just heal her physically. He also healed her to bring her back into community. Like back into her family. Back back into her, her worship community. And also her deepest need back into community with her Heavenly Father. And did you know that, that this is the only woman Jesus ever explicitly called Daughter. In, it, like in the entire Bible, only time Jesus calls a woman daughter, whole, entire, entire Gospels, because she may very well have needed that reminder the most, that this is who you are, that you're a daughter of the king. And so he told her that it wasn't her superstition, but her faith, as little and imperfect as it was, that saved her, that brought her into contact with God and gave her peace you know, you may remember the story of Kim Phuc. Um, this is a, a, a lady or a little girl. Um, you know, remember during the, during the Vietnam War, there was this very famous picture taken. Remember, entitled The Napalm Girl, right? Um, and, and this picture would go on to win the Pulitzer Prize. I mean, it's a very powerful picture. And, and as a little girl, her village was hit with napalm. And, and literally, I mean, she's in bed. Her, her clothes were burned off her body. And in that picture, there she is running down the road with her village behind her in flames uh, and with the look of sheer agony on her face. And, and, I mean, searing burns all over her arms, all over her back. And in a split second, her childhood was, like, just gone. was taken from her. And, and like this woman in our passage, she, too, suffered very much from many physicians. Uh, her childhood was spent undergoing 17 operations, 10 other various treatments. Um, Well, years later, uh, after all this, she was uh, attempting to get her life back in order. And at the age of 19, she decided that she was going to go to med school. Uh, She was going to take her past. It was going to be redeemed. She was going to go to med school. But all of a sudden, people put two and two together and realized that she she was the girl from that picture. That's, That's the girl. And her country plucked her out of school. And used her as a propaganda tool in presentations as they traveled around the country. And she essentially became a mascot and a slave. They controlled her every movement. Meaning, not only had the napalm taken away her childhood, but as an adult, her identity as the napalm girl had also taken away her dreams of med school. And so one night she found herself in a library, totally desperate, and providentially, she stumbled upon the Gospel of John. Never read it before. And in the Gospel of John, she met Jesus. She said, I, I, I like this guy. Um, and she kept reading about Jesus. And then a friend later invited her to church. And so she went with her friend and she heard the Gospel. And she confessed her need of peace with God right there. And she was saved on the spot. And she prayed to the Father to, to take the burden of all of her pain and, and the lost dreams, to take that in Jesus' name. And she too found herself with a new name uh, and, and a new purpose. No longer was she the napalm girl, uh, but she saw herself as a daughter of the king. I mean, I, I know that maybe if we hear this every week, it's not that revolutionary. But that is revolutionary. That your identity is a son, a daughter of the king if you are in Christ. And so she said in an interview that though she still suffers with a lot of scars and pain, that God healed her deepest pain. He healed her heart. You know, and if God does that, like if God gives you peace deep down and God heals your heart, like you're okay, you're going to make it no matter what. So that's what Jesus did to this woman, and that's what he died and rose to do for you. Well, in all the excitement, we can forget we got to get back. This is the Christopher Nolan coming back. Um, we can't forget the reason Jesus was Jesus was walking in the first place it was because remember at the beginning, Jairus came to Jesus and said, "Jesus, my daughter's dying. Come, come help." And, and can you imagine being that parent? Can you imagine being that parent? Can you imagine, like, you've got a sick child, very sick child in your car, and you're going down to Jackson, and you're on 55, and there's a traffic jam at Glutstadt. I mean, what are you thinking? You know, Jairus has got to be, come on, Jesus, we've we got to go, let's go. But then, while Jesus was still talking to the woman, Jairus got word that his little girl had died. Crushed. And the people who came to tell him said, look, don't, don't bother with Jesus anymore. Just, just go home. Just go home, be with your wife, go home and grieve." But Jesus answered him, verse 50, he said, don't fear, only believe, and she will be well. Well, in their culture, you know, things, or in that environment, things things happen pretty quick after death. And we don't know how long Jairus was out getting Jesus, but we know that by the time Jesus returned, or he got there, the mourners, and in other accounts, we see that flute players were already called in. And the the funeral had already started by the time they got there. And so Jesus took Peter, James, and John and the little girl's parents and they walked back into the room and he took the little girl's hands which according to Numbers 19 was a big no-no. I mean like, like touching a dead body made you unclean and you just didn't do that and yet here Jesus was foreshadowing what he would do on the cross for his people, right? That, that he would take our uncleanness and our shame and our sin on himself so that he could reverse it so that he could make us clean. And give us his righteousness. And, the, and then notice the tenderness of Jesus. You know, Peter tells us, this is in Mark's account, but which is Peter's eyewitness testimony. Peter tells us that when he was in the room, Jesus spoke to this little girl in her native language, Aramaic, saying, Talitha kumi, a little girl, wake up. And she did. She opened her eyes and, and started eating. <laughs> In the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones concludes the story this way. She says, Jesus helped and healed many people like this. He made blind people see. He made deaf people hear. He made lame people walk. Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world. So Westminster, Jesus spoke and he had power over nature You can rest in Him. Uh, Jesus spoke and He had power over evil. You don't have to fear if you're in Him. And then today, Jesus spoke and He had power over sickness and death. And you know what? Nothing's changed since then. His Word also has the power to save you and to heal your greatest needs. Well, this morning... Uh, it's really an invitation as we started our call to worship. The call to worship began with an invitation to taste and see. Well, this is an invitation for you to taste and see that. And, and so we're we're going to end in a different way. I'm not going to pray. Uh, instead, we're all going to pray. Um, but want to end in a little different way before we sing our final hymn. W- would you join me? And, you know, occasionally it, it's good to have these moments of, you know, we call them rededication. This moment of just... Let's think about something. Uh, so would you join me in sitting and silently praying, a uh, time of reflection and response, asking Jesus to restore you? I mean, you know your deepest needs. You know where you need restoration. Asking Jesus to go there and to heal you, to restore your zeal for the gospel, uh, to restore your soul. So, so go there and, and pray that. But then also, maybe may you're here... Uh, and you just you're not a believer. Don't really know much about Jesus. Really, don't really care. Uh, but you're here. Would you consider taking this small amount of time uh, to think about your greatest need? Just think about your greatest need. And, and I want to encourage you to consider how the gospel tells us that Jesus is the only one who can meet that need. Just consider that. Um, what well, could we do that now? Just a few moments, silent prayer. Thank you. Well, Father, this world can do a number on our souls, and um, we've we've followed after lots of things that don't that don't restore, uh, that just take, take, take. So, Father, I ask that you would bring back uh, the joy, that you would bring back the gospel fire in our souls, so that we would see Jesus as beautiful, um, that in light of our sin and need, Jesus would take our breath away. Lord, we thank you that you meet us exactly where we are. And so, Lord, would you continue to grow us, continue to lead us uh, in the way of flourishing. Uh, Lord, give us a hatred for our sin and just a love, a love for your righteousness, a zeal for your holiness. So, Father, change us, transform us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.